Meet Your Heroes podcast. <laughs> Bringing you the most exciting cousin fucking and living your best life stories you can muster. Hi, welcome to Meet Your Heroes podcast. This is Audrey. And this is Elliot. And this is the podcast where every week we spend between 30 and 60 minutes destroying the otherwise unblemished reputation of heroes throughout history. Potentially clarifying the reputation. Revealing a veneer of perfection to be just that a veneer. So poetic you are. It's a much better way than saying we're burning this shit to the ground. Yes. Well, I I take this seriously because this week I feel like I've got somebody who is in the shades of imperfect humanity as opposed to... Mm. Dr. All, Seuss. As opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to the all-hero or all-villain sure. that, that we may so easily find ourselves falling into. I mean, these are my favorite, the ones where I am surprised to learn that they, too, were complex human beings, products of their time, who didn't always get it right. Yeah, dare I say this person may even be someone with a net benefit for humanity. Wow. Despite potentially sharing some culpability in the deaths of at least about a quarter of a million people. It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> to be like that sometimes. <gasps> yes, indeed. Yikes. All right. Who is it? This week, we are getting to know one Mr. Albert Einstein. One Mr. Albert Einstein. The one and only, in fact. Yes. The... Actually, that might not be true. I have not Googled <laughs> that. There could be many Albert Einsteins. They're good. That if you've ever been to an Einstein Brothers bagel shop, <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'd assume one of those brothers might be an Albert. Who knows? And not the same Albert either. Roll the dice. Who knows? All right, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, first and foremost, Albert Einstein. Every kid who's been to sixth grade in America has seen this guy's poster with him sticking out his tongue. Mm. The caricature of a crazy scientist. Also a hero for what? What would you think of? Smart scientific discoveries. String theory? Not really, but okay. I don't you're, know. You're yeah, the right, that right, right? Sure. Uh, atomic bomb? Uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So there's that. Played a part. E equals MC squared. Yes, E equals that's MC squared. One. That's that's the big one. That's the big one. The big one. Um, White hair. Mm-hmm. Very pronounced and specific profile. Like, yep. you could sketch an outline of him, and basically everyone would know that that was Einstein. Real recognizable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those are those are the things that immediately come to mind. Sure. I think what we're going to find is that he is, in fact, a scientist. In fact. Made major contributions, and 
still a very flawed human being at times mm-hmm. in his life. So let's start where he started. Uh, German Empire, 1879. Still an empire back then. 1879. All right. Mm-hmm. So telephone. We've been to this place before. We yes. know this time period. We know the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, Post-Civil War America. The city's called Ohm, and uh, him and his family are non-observant Ashkenazi Jews. Okay. Dad's a professional uh, engineer. Um, smart kid. There's Sure. This... They, yeah, to be a, a super genius adult, sometimes it requires a certain proclivity for achievement as a child. Sure. There's a there's a strain of motivational uh, quote out there that mm. talks about how bad Einstein was in his youth at math and physics and how much he failed school and how there's still hope for you. I mean, school and proclivity for achievement slash intelligence slash those are not necessarily like equivalent. You don't have to be excellent at school to be super smart. That's true. And in fact, to any listeners out there who are who are not good at math and science too and hold out hopes of being um, the Einstein of their day, I just want to dash those hopes immediately because he was actually a genius right from the jump. He was very good <laughs> at school the whole time. He was, there was, those, all of those motivational posters are just total BS. Um why do they exist? Because it's a very reassuring thing to be like, even Einstein wasn't that smart as a kid. To be like, no, he was solving like entire geometry textbooks as an eight-year-old. Just like his tutor handed it to him. He worked through it and was like, you got anything else? Here's, an, here's a novel proof. You remember the Pythagorean theorem? I, I do. When That's one w- of the very few theorems, in fact, <laughs> <laughs> yes. that, I re- that I remember. This uh, art history degree doesn't often <laughs> okay. lend itself to... Oh, Pythagoras. But Pythagorean theorem sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Pythagorean theorem, he came up with a novel way of proving it as a child, just like in his free time. Mm. So clearly smart. Yeah. Did he have any friends? Um, he, It seemed like he lived a relatively happy childhood. There were points at, at school where he didn't quite uh, get along with his teachers. He didn't always pay attention in class because he didn't really need to, and that pissed off some teachers. Right. As a former teacher, I swear to God, if a student came in and was like... So, everybody else is going to learn how to multiply today, yes. and I have drafted a new proof for the Pythagorean theorem. I'd be like, cool, First go up, fuck okay. yourself. Listen here, you little <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, what do you do with that? I don't know. I don't, I couldn't. You do nothing for that, right? You just like let them, yes, this is what happens. Okay. Basically, through school, it's just like, okay, you're going to do your thing. So at 17, he enrolls in uh, Zurich Polytechnic Institute, and uh, that same year... Well, uh, when I was 17, I got into a state school. <laughs> <laughs> Deal with that, Einstein. Props to you. Uh, he does pretty well on his entrance exams, um, but that same year, somebody does better on their entrance exams. Uh-oh. Uh, 20-year-old Maleva Merrick. Uh, she bests him, does even better. And over the next few years, um, they're working in the same program. She is the only woman in this program of all men. And they're going to develop a friendship and eventually a romance. I was like, they fucking... <laughs> 
a friendship with a woman who is besting you academically, who is three years your senior and does better on the entrance exam, like you could not write a more a, a, a story in which Einstein yearns for someone more than he yearns for this person. If ever Einstein were to yearn for a person, it would be for this woman. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He, he writes about her and uh, describes her as, uh, quote, a creature who is my equal. Mm, I, which ooh, is when a man calls me a creature, I just I can't get enough. First of all, <laughs> calls you a creature. Second, she outscores him on this test. So he's like, creature is my equal. It's also like getting better grades than you, sir. Not your equal at all. Um, yeah, but they share a lot of the same uh, intellectual interests. Obviously, they're the same technical program in math and physics here, but also same philosophical interests as well. Uh, and eventually, they will uh, marry. They will marry. They will have children. They will have children? They will have children. Um, first thing to understand about this moment in uh, Maleva's life is that Meeting Einstein will be the beginning of the end for all of her aspirations, talent, and dreams. Yes, that's how it worked back then and today. Yeah, well, I mean, like, this downfall, right, um, it's dramatic, because as we'll talk about in a second, it is not the only path available right here. Uh, and So this is, like, 1900, right? Mm-hmm. She goes through, gets higher scores than him on the entrance exams, for the uh, like the final exit exams in these programs, right, scores the exact same, like one out of six, scores of six, the same as him. But when it comes to like this like teaching panel, which is judged by a panel of men, and she's the only woman that has to go through this, despite her grades being like as high or higher than everybody else's, she's the only woman to fail this like panel once, right? That is so unsurprising to me that I wish I could feign surprise right now. Really, I'm just curious, the uh, adjectives they used to describe her, were they bristly, assertive, aggressive, too loud? Yeah, well, I mean, I I don't have the adjectives they used. I would not surprise me. It is not an uncommon problem now. Um, in her romance with Einstein at this point, mm-hmm. right as they are graduating, about to go into the world, she becomes pregnant with their first child. At this exact moment. And Another way to phrase that would be, he got her pregnant with their first child. Yes. 1900. Mm-hmm. Gets her, get Knocks her up. He knocks her up. And over the next uh, couple years, she does not pass these teaching exams. Oh, no. He graduates, get, passes them, but can't get a job teaching. He can't get hired. So between 1900 and 1902, um, they both graduate. She doesn't like get past this, like, thing but he can't get a job um they write letters about this kid the last letter that mentions the kid says it has scarlet fever and then never mentioned again so either went up for adoption or died of scarlet fever but they lose the they lose the kid their firstborn their yeah their firstborn um (sighs) and so she they begin their post like are they married at this point not quite but they they begin their postgraduate blissful life with uh having lost a kid him having gotten past the teaching bar, but her not. Ugh. So nineteen oh three, they finally get married. Um, so he's thirty. Yep, because they he's unable to get a job professor. This is he gets a job working at the patent office. 
uh, which is one of the famous things about him, right? Like, this is where he's going to have some insights. He basically is sitting there, like, approving patents all day, looking at a lot of equations, just, like, a lot of time to think and work on his uh, work on his theories. But people will say, like, oh, he was a lowly patent clerk. Yes. Clerk. But it's basically because he couldn't get hired as a professor. Is it a personality reason he can't get hired as a professor? Like, what's the situation there? We're going to get a lot of evidence that he's not good with people. Um, but it he's certainly smart enough. So it seems like it's just sure. not not a fit for what people are looking for in a teaching position. Got it. You know, um, that that happens. Yeah. So while he's a patent clerk, they have their first son um, and she becomes totally withdrawn. Maybe becomes totally withdrawn from her work. Right. At this point, like. There's no she's never going to publish any papers under her own name. If you read their letters from this time, though. Right. There's at least 10 times in their correspondence where they're talking about, quote unquote, our work. Yes. He is explicitly saying our work to her. Yes. Because they are corresponding actively about some of the things that are about to come down the pipeline in his papers. Yeah, I've heard this uh, a few times that she is essentially ghostwriting a lot of their content. So there, if you look at the historical literature on this, sure, it's not as cut and dry as ghostwriting, right? You can't say definitively that she's responsible for it. Okay. Um, it is clear that they are working in a shared area and that he is much more willing to refer to it as our work before he gets a lot of credit publicly. Right. And then as soon as that happens, right, then it's going to be a major turn. That doesn't happen again. Sure. If you had asked me earlier, what was Einstein's wife's name? I would have guessed 10,000 times and never have guessed it right. Yes. So, never. So this, 1903, they have their kid. 1905 is called like his amazing year. There's a, there's a Latin term that I, I forget. But basically, he publishes four seminal papers that are going to be, you know, world changing for uh, physics and his and, and this particular area of physics. Um, some One paper in quantum physics, one on the relativistic nature of space-time, his special theory of relativity, um, okay. one that's on Brownian motion, and then one that is the E equals MC squared paper, right, which sure. is energy is equal to mass paper, right? Mm-hmm. Of these, in this crazy time, all published in a one, in, in 1905, this one-year period, right? Wow. Never again will he reference, quote-unquote, our work in a letter to her. She will never publish again. Why were they writing letters to one another? Was he stationed somewhere else? Yes. So there was a time where they were separated while he was looking for work and she was still finishing up studies in Zurich. Um, So they were separated for a while during this time, which is why they have written correspondence. Um, His career is going to take off and he's never going to look back. The crazy thing about this, when you you talk about like, it would not surprise you at this time that this would be like this. The one reason it is still shocking is because at the same time, just as a side note, Marie Curie is yeah. working, right? And so she is working, like, literally two years before this. Um, she meets Pierre Curie. Well, mm-hmm. I forget her, her maiden name. It escapes me. Um, but she meets Pierre Curie, takes the name Marie Curie. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a pair, they work in Paris in their lab, um, essentially give a name to the phenomenon 
of radiation have a child during this time. And, yes. and even after she has her child, together they earn their first Nobel Prize. Sure. Right. Earlier when we were talking, I almost referenced the fact that it would not have been an anomaly for for Einstein and his wife to have shared credit because of Marie and Pierre. But Marie and Pierre were just such an anomaly in the grand scheme of social sort of roles, expectations, constructs of the time. Yes. They were an anomaly, uh, but an anomaly that Einstein would, like, go on to, like, know personally. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I imagine the Nobel Prize. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the Nobel Prize um, circle is probably quite tight-knit amongst scientists. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, the, thing, the thing that I want to leave here from, right, is that, like, Einstein's going to go on to do great work. Marie Curie wins this first Nobel Prize with her husband. He, her husband then dies in a freak accident a couple of years later. Yes. And she goes on to not only be the first person, the first woman ever to win it, the Nobel Prize, but the first person ever to win it twice. Because right. after he dies in that freak accident, she goes on. Right. So, so the takeaway there is that in this partnership, when she was given a chance to like operate, she went on to do incredible work, even outside of her husband. And from this point forward, Einstein's going to go on to do work. We will never have any idea what work his wife could have done because she just was never given the opportunity, right? Like, she stayed home to do kids. And we will find that he, like, had a very particular notion of how their life should work that, like, forced that conversation. Mm. Um, But from this point on, that was not a possibility for her. She never publishes a paper. She is not a scientist in her life, despite being this groundbreaker in her program earlier on. Yeah, that's really heartbreaking. So, 1905 comes around. These four papers come out. People are like, who is this dude? Mm. Um, And he just kind of like bursts onto the scene. Uh, Einstein pretty quickly accepts an appointment at the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute of Physics, uh, moves to Berlin basically to be uh, closer to this work. But also when he's like, he's got a lot of options on the table. After he publishes this, he picks Berlin specifically too so that he can be closer uh, to his cousin, uh, Elsa Lowenthal. Uh-oh. Who he starts yep. a relationship Here we go. which becomes an affair, which Whoops. gets becomes a, a torrid affair. Um, As affairs with your cousin are wont to be. <laughs> yes, yes. If it's yes. not torrid, is it really fucking your cousin? Yeah. So... As he's deciding, like, whether he wants to take this all of these jobs, like, closer to his family or closer to his first cousin who he's fucking, um, he's writing these letters and refers to his wife, who just, like, a few years earlier he was, like, saying was his equal and, like, in the thick of our work with. He's now referring to her as a woman of uncommon ugliness and, quote, an employee I cannot fire. So it sounds like he and Picasso had some things in common. Yeah, there is a clear... Um, deep-seated issue with being able to sustain a relationship with any woman as his equal that like yeah how much younger was this cousin than him hmm. do we know because it probably feels like she was a teenager and he was a grown-ass adult she was several years younger than him he never dated anybody who was younger than 18 which i only throw out because that is not necessarily a given in stories like this mm-hmm. um 
but he was like roughly 30-ish at the time. Okay. And so she was in her 20s, I believe. Got it. Um, Child-free, carefree, yes. living her best life in Berlin. He does now have two kids, though. Of course. With his first wife. Three, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. But two surviving children. Yes. And so at this point, he's moving to Berlin to be closer to Elsa. And he writes a letter to his wife and tells her, and this is, I'm, I'm just going to read this quote. This isn't going to feel good. From the letter. <clears throat> you will see to it Uh-oh. that one, nope. my clothes and linen are kept in order. And two. Yeah, as she burns them on the front lawn. That I am served three regular meals a day in my room. You will renounce all personal relations with me except as required to keep up social appearances. And you will expect no affection from me. You must leave my study at once as soon as I ask you without protest. So basically he's like, so you've been demoted to maid. And I'm bringing my cousin. We're moving in. Yes. Enjoy. His wife says, no. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. Finally. Yes. Great. She's like, uh, excuse me. That's not going to work for me. I am your equal. This will not happen. You will serve me three meals a day. If she if she had the prerogative, <laughs> I'm sure she would. Right. At this point, he is a celebrity, so she is just going to be like, I'm taking the kids. We're going to Switzerland. We'll see you never. Does he never see his kids again? It seems like he would probably never see his kids again. Well, we'll find out he does see his kids again. But in like 30 years? Ask me if he ever sees his kids again. Does he ever see his kids again? Well, so she leaves with the kids to Zurich, right? Sure. Um He's going to see his kids for a little bit. But when stuff gets hard, like, for example, a few years later, when one of his kids gets diagnosed with schizophrenia and institutionalized. Oh, no. Never going to see those kids. <gasps> never going to see that son again. Ever? Ever. The, in, in, of the two sons, that's the one that actually was much closer to having, like, some element of his genius. Not in physics, but in the arts. Sure. And just, peace out. Oh, no. Yes. Don't love that. No. Um, so we can add deadbeat to the list of ways that Einstein was a real dick. So, yeah, he, he's going to send money, right? He okay. We're going to see he's well, going to, like, he's going to send some money. He's going to do it in, like, the most, like, bitchy little way. And, but he will, he will definitely not be emotionally available, emotionally available enough to deal with his son who's in distress. Right. Wow. So this is 1914, start of World War I. Um, He starts traveling right as they move to Zurich. And he is basically like in the midst of this wartime, he is like traveling the world and like enjoying his his newfound celebrity. He's he's one of the first like big celebrities of the 20th century in a way that he's like a household name for his work. So he's like 40. Did he ever officially divorce his first wife? Yes. Uh, So weirdly. So this is 1914. There's a five year waiting period on this divorce because of the laws of where they were buried at the time. Mm -hmm. So during this five year period, he's just cousin fucking and like living his best life. Yeah, <laughs> you know you don't expect those two phrases to go together in one sentence. <laughs> Basically, ever 
Meet Your Heroes podcast, <laughs> bringing you the most exciting cousin fucking and living your best life stories you can muster. It's a lot of mustering. <laughs> it's a lot of mustering. Um, so during this time he's traveling, um, he, eventually he's going to accept an appointment at the Royal Academy of Arts and Sciences, which is a big deal. In 1920, sure. uh, 1921, he's going to win his uh, Nobel Prize for physics. Um, he gives the money to his wife as part of the divorce settlement. Um, he's the way that he specifies it though is that she can only touch the interest. So the money's there, the mo- the interest can go to the kids, but they can't actually spend any of the principal, which means like it takes what's a big prize into like basically alimony payments that he doesn't have to pay for. So it's basically like two percent of a million dollars. Yeah, two percent of like what's like thirty five thousand dollars at the time. Which Got it. again, it. as we've talked about, sure. my math conversion is any amount of money in the past in today's dollars is roughly a million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right at the way that inflation is going right now, that could be true for two thousand ten. Seems like it. Seems like it to me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. But how can he even stipulate that if they're divorced and he's like, here's your money? How can he control how I mean, she so, spends it? So in the last couple of years, letters have come to light where he he's not just he's not as much of a dick as he was in that letter. Right. When she decides to, like, break it off. He, sure. like, softens up. He's, he's kinder. He's like, he's like, I'm going to sit. She wasn't entitled to the money. Right. And so he puts all of this money that he gets from this big Nobel Prize into this fund is like legally here. You're gonna get the interest payments. You just can't touch the actual money itself. The least he can do. Yeah, for for his two kids, that one of whom has died is died in those whiskets of who he never ever sees. So, literally, the very least he could do. I mean, yes. If you've gotten the prize, if he's like, this you're is sitting on money that you didn't have yesterday. So mm-hmm. it's like no big deal to not have it today. Yes. So he then woof. As he's traveling the world, now it's the 20s, mm. roaring 20s. Sure. At the end of World War One, he is soaking the celebrity up. Um, he, as a small side note, at this point, he takes his uh, first and only trips to the east. So he sees China and Japan at this point and uh, writes in his travel diaries, which we've only recently been able to read as the public um, because they've been released. Write some really racist shit. Mm. Just uh, he's hanging out with Dr. Seuss. Yeah, I mean, like, yes. Yeah, so it, he had been a very like cosmopolitan person, a very like open-minded, done a lot of like good for the world in a lot of his writing and work. Um, in his less guarded writings and his travel diaries that were not intended to be released publicly, just referred to the Chinese people as filthy and obtuse. Uh, oh, expressed ex- explicit fears that they would supplant all the other races. Uh, just it said the Japanese were clearly, uh, quote-unquote, naturally inferior. <gasps> so the reason that's important context is because... World War II is yeah, on the horizon. Had we, had <laughs> that's we not important seen, context. So, so had we not seen it, he had, yes, he had been uh, an avowed um, citizen of the world and pacifist for his entire life. And as we approach World War II, he is going to drop all of that pacifism. He'd been like a big fan of Gandhi and explicitly said how much he respect he had for him. And he drops all that pacifism. And he does that after visiting China and Japan. And now we have the context of seeing his travel writings and saying, potentially form some 
really racist opinions in what was like a one week stay, which is like saw people from the train and was like, I don't like y'all. Not working for me. You know, and it's just shocking that World War Two would happen just a few years later. What do you know? What do you know? So now it's 1930. Uh, this is actually when his son is diagnosed with schizophrenia, okay. institutionalized. Um, doesn't have a second Nobel Prize to send at this point, right? Sure. Like he's I already... mean, that, that timeline tracks, right? Like around 25 is generally when symptoms of schizophrenia become much more pronounced. Yes. So if you do the math, 1905 to 1930. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 1933... Know about it? Read read about it? Yes. Um, Einstein is visiting the United States. Hitler comes to power in Germany. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it's very quick. It's very quickly obvious that the Germans do not take well to even the scientific contributions of Jewish people, explicitly call out Einstein, offer a bounty on his head. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going back. <laughs> Sure. Uh, I'm not going to travel back there, so I'm going to stay here in the U.S. Um, and basically emigrates to the United States. That From that point forward, he's going to begin the process of trying to become a citizen and eventually become a citizen of the United States. Um, he is still explicitly a pacifist at this time until 1939, right? That's when the war really starts, World War II, and he... Um, is very conflicted, right? The United States is not in the war at the beginning. Sure. And so right before right. it starts, um, these two Hungarian scientists come and visit him in Princeton, where he is. And uh, so their their names are Silizard and Wigner. And they basically say, hey, we think the Germans are going to work on this atomic bomb. From all these whisperings, they're... Or, they're like exploring how to smash the atom, right? We need to take this seriously. We can't get anybody to listen to us. I swear if someone came to me and was like, so-and-so is seriously figuring out how to smash the atom. We got to do something about it. I'd be like, I have no idea what to do about it, but you are right. We need to do something. Yes. Cannot let that motherfucker smash an atom. Can't let that happen. No way. Uh, so what they they basically say, Einstein, you are like the world-renowned face of smart science guy. Will you sign this letter? And he says, you know what? You're right. We can't let them do it first. He signs this letter, and they get it to Roosevelt. And basically, th- he sets off the chain of events that begins the Manhattan Project. And... Mm. Through that letter, Roosevelt's like, okay, go study this, see if it's real. It's real. Okay, great. We're gonna... And so even right before the war starts, he mm-hmm. kicks it off, the process that will get the United States the atomic bomb before Germany. So they're just smashing atoms, pre-war, figuring it out. Yes. So um, as Einstein reflects on this in his later years, it's important to remember that we won World War Two defeated the Nazis without actually using an atomic bomb. Sure. It was after Germany surrendered and Japan was still fighting. That's right. That they decide, you know what, we're going to drop this Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and so this was a big point of regret for Einstein. He basically admitted openly, uh, the quote 
he gave right had I known that the Germans would not have succeeded in their attempts, uh, I never would have lifted a finger. Sure. To help it, us. I mean, that's just the bomb. Basic game theory. Yeah, it, and without knowing if they were going to get it first, you can have it, not use it. Sure. Right. Like that's the thing. He didn't ever get to make the decision about to use it, right? He right. could only participate in this process to, like, develop it. And so he sure. basically had to open Pandora's box without being able to contain it. And um, there are many... I'm glad I was never in that position, right? There are many ways you can imagine right. considering that. Um, because but, you're essentially weighing, like, preemptively am i saving the lives of all of these other people like you just don't know yeah yeah you don't know and and the same science right that could give us potentially sustainable nuclear energy for generations to come right sure his same body of work that gave us gps and enabled to right correct for the relativistic distortions you get from those satellites right like also ended up directly leading to the deaths of a quarter of a million civilians, right? The only time nuclear weapons have ever been used in the history of humanity. Hopefully, till now, and hopefully the last. Sure. Jesus Christ, yes. Hopefully the very last. Hopefully time. the very last. Things are a little dicey geopolitically right now, so this is a sincere, Can't take a lot for granted. A sincere hope. I'm just putting it out there like the secret. I'm just going to manifest that we're not using nuclear weapons anytime soon. But Oof. the fact that you don't know, you don't know, is is directly a product of a chain of events that ties back to Einstein being like, "You're right. This is serious. Let's sign this letter." There we go. After the war, Einstein died ten years later, at the age of seventy six, nineteen fifty five. Wow. Um, he had published about three hundred papers. Uh oh. That's yeah. a lot of papers. Yes. Yeah. So that's the entire time of his career. His wow. wife had published zero. His first wife had published zero. He had had affairs with multiple other younger women during his second marriage to his first cousin. Here's the thing. Just imagine. I mean, this... This man must have spit such a good game. (laughs) Because you think about the number of women who had affairs with him. With him looking like that. And his clear antisocial personality in so many ways. How? I mean, this is like, like uh, if you were to say to him, right, like uh, these people would never have been with you had you not been the most famous scientist of your generation. I think the only response would have been, but I'm the most famous scientist <laughs> of my generation. So sure, doesn't matter. Sure. I mean, smoke them while you got them. That's the saying, right? <laughs> yes. Truer words. Yes. Wow. Okay. So lots of affairs. Second wife. His first wife, all of her potential was robbed. Yeah. And and his in his final years went on to hold on to some like firm misconceptions about his earlier work like just could he opened the door to, to quantum physics but couldn't actually like live with the uncertainty and the indeterminacy that it actually opened sure uh and so i mean me either y- yes <laughs> I, I can't live with that either good thing 
I don't understand it at all. When he went on to like struggle to actually deal with the repercussions of the fundamental breakthroughs that he made earlier in his career. So his later work was not as mm. impactful as his early work. Um, but still, we owe an incredible amount of the modern conveniences in our understanding of the universe to the doors that he opened with his. I just think that... I mean, it's kind of like Michael Jackson's later work, right? You're like, well, after Dangerous, everything's downhill from there. <laughs> That's Is that what we're like? That's what I'm like. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You've got Thriller, you've got Bad, you've got Dangerous. After that, it's all downhill. But everybody still loves it because you're Michael Jackson. Yeah, it's hard to, hard to say goodbye to your heroes. It is very hard. Rough. Yeah, I think his legacy is that of clearly a genius who struggled to deal with the complexities of being human, failed many times, and explicitly admitted to failing his marriages over and over. Um Without At least he was d- self-aware. Yeah, w- without a doubt, a genius by sure. whatever metric you want to say, but uh, potentially not someone you'd want to make your hero. That's the question we all have to grapple with. What makes a hero? All right, well, if people want to find more heroes that we have unveiled uh what's the word you would use there if people are getting if people would like to meet more of their heroes where can they find us well if they've already found us on the podcast the place they can find us on social media on facebook instagram and twitter is at your heroes pod and just a reminder to folks heroes has two E's in it. Um, not back-to-back, though. Not back-to-back, uh, but two in there. Just like to point that out because we um, don't have any forwarding mechanism if you don't have that second E. Um, but if they have already followed us on social media and they're listening to our podcast, the very best thing that they can do is rate, review, and share this podcast with their network so that more people can learn about the complexity of being a human, of being infamous, of notoriety during a time where every detail of your life is captured and potentially exposed by nobodies like us. Yes. They can also find us on the internet, www meetyourheroespodcast.com Yeah, and if you share this podcast with 10 of your friends and each of them share it with a thousand of their friends, we <laughs> will have 10,000 times the followers we do right now Currently. in a week. I mean, that's basically just how rabbit reproduction happens. Essentially, yes. So yeah, I mean, be like a rabbit and share away. Until next time. Don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye. <laughs>